Glad you're here this morning. If, I, um, if you weren't here when we uh, prayed and began the morning, I, I hope I said it then. If I didn't say it then, I'm going to say it now. Welcome. We're, we're glad that you're sharing your morning with us. Um, if you're visiting with us for the first time, uh, it'll be somebody at the little welcome table there. Uh, as we leave this morning, I invite you to grab a little packet of information about who we are as a church. We are, um, I, I feel like there's some wonderful churches in our community. And this may not be where the Lord has you long-term. It may be a visit this morning. If that's the case, then hear that we're cheering for you to land somewhere. Um, if, you're try- if you think it may be here, then a, a little packet might help you sort of figure out who we are as a people. Um, but in the meantime, like I said, if this is your one visit this morning, and if you're like, ah, oh, this isn't the place we want to be, um, I don't know why you would do such a foolish thing. But should you want to do such a foolish thing to, to not be here, uh, obviously I'm being facetious. Uh, know that seriously, we are cheering for you. Being part of a church matters. It is not uh, a small thing. I want to pray about how we'll spend these next few minutes, and uh, we're going to climb into our passage in Ephesians 5. So if you want to be turning there, uh, that's where we're going to be this morning. God, we want to pray for another church in our community this morning. Uh, I want to pray for First Baptist Church Greenville. For Roy and Kim Youngblood, Lord, I want to pray first for Roy. Um, pray for a guy that is, is in a context where he is the lone pastor. Uh, Lord, I pray just uh, jealously for him, Lord, that, uh, that you would maybe even work something that may not even be on their radar right now of having multiple pastors, peer pastors that... Uh, can serve alongside one another to where Roy is, um, where the buck doesn't stop with Roy. Um, Lord, in the meantime, Lord, I pray that you would guard him, uh, that you would guard his heart from uh, uh, the rigors of, uh, or that in the rigors of ministry, you would guard his heart from the ploys of Satan to discourage, uh, to make him believe that it's, it's, it's not worthwhile, that people don't care. Uh, Lord, the the lies that Satan whispers, uh, I just pray that you would silent, or at least give Roy an insight into those lies and give him a wisdom uh, where he presses on, uh, whether there's one in the room or a thousand in the room, for one reason alone, because the tomb is empty. Lord, I pray that that'll be the, the uh, encouragement for every pastor in every pulpit this morning. That we don't preach in something that we believe to be our own strength. Or that we don't serve in what we believe to be our own effort. But that we preach and we serve with passion. Uh, We shepherd uh, wholeheartedly for one reason alone, because our Lord lives. I pray that for Roy, Lord. I pray that that too will uh, connect to his marriage with Kim, that they will... uh, experience a closeness and a kinship and an intimacy and a friendship and fellowship in the work, Lord, that you would um, just bless them as they uh, pastor, as he pastors and they lead um, First Baptist Church Greenville. We pray for First Baptist Church, uh, First Baptist Church Greenville, Lord. We pray for awesome things there. Uh, we pray for big and great problems like growth problems and parking problems and uh, problems with where to put children Lord, we just pray that they are making disciples uh, and that you will help them in that work, enable them in that work. We're thankful for the chance to lift them up this morning. 
Lord, also in, uh, this morning, I want to pray about how we spend these next few minutes. I pray that you would guard us from just going through the motions. I pray that you would have a powerful message in spite of a uh, frail um, messenger, uh, that, the, the, that the word would speak for itself and the Holy Spirit would do the work of, of the real preaching this morning. Um, there's a lot at stake, and uh, we want to walk well. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Ephesians chapter 5 is where we are this morning, verses 7 through 14. I'm going to read our passage, but I just want to share something with you, tell a little story, brief story. A couple of months ago, um, during the school year, um, in our youth study, we had, um, it was, we've been working through the Bible. We were in the book of Jude on the particular Wednesday night, um, and our teacher that night presented a scenario. And in this scenario, we were talking about how to be Christians in our context and how to be faithful in our context. And our teacher that night presented a scenario. Uh, and again, we're youth age kids, so we're talking about kids in school. Okay, Pre- presented a scenario of a gay couple in the hallway at school between classes. How do you respond as a Christian? What do you do as a Christian? And it was interesting the responses. Um, that we got from our students, it actually prompted um, a a dedicated Wednesday night, the following Wednesday night, to how do we walk faithfully in that scenario. But it was interesting the responses that we got. And you might kind of imagine the kind of responses that you get from some students, okay? Um, The first response, and I'm not sure these were in chronological order, but just listing them today, the first response uh, was sort of the sense of avoiding them. Okay, if we have a gay couple in the hallway, then we want to and if you're on the right side of the hallway, we want to move to the left side of the hallway. <laughs> That's kind of the, you know, the, the sense that, that, I, that we got from some of our students was, uh, let me keep my distance. Okay? Uh, another response was sort of a, a, a rebuke them response. We should call out to them or speak to them in some way and rebuke them if we see a gay couple in the hallway between classes. And then one response from a young, young lady um, I think this is, um, I've treasured this response in the couple of months since then. I've treasured it this morning. Her response was, it wasn't a scenario. She responded as if we somehow knew her life. And she said, I would say hi because they're my friends. It was real for her. I'm wondering this morning if we were to ask a room full of adults, these adults, you know, that I'm not sure that we're any better at really making sense of that scenario than our youth were. Uh, in some ways, maybe the Lord has ordained that we have that Wednesday after on this particular Sunday morning where we as a people have the chance to work through. How do we respond in that scenario? What do we do with that? I thought about what kind of responses we might have. If this were a discussion in a Bible study, we might have the response of, well, I'm going to block them on Facebook where I don't even want to see their stuff. You know, if we have our version of the gay couple in the hallway, maybe it's a gay friend from high school. Um, then necessarily this is all, 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 isn't all about a homosexual couple, but this is just sort of our vehicle for conversation this morning. Let's say we have that on our Facebook stream and you see a message that's being told and shared week after week. Our response may be, I just don't even want to see it. 
me. Let me just block it. Let me unfollow them. And let me even maybe potentially just unfriend them because I don't even want it in my periphery. <laughs> uh, another response might be we're just going to rebuke them. You know, I think the, the fashionable way of rebuking people these days was with a meme, right? Death by meme. We're not going to maim them. We're going to meme them to death, maybe, if they're um, a gay couple on Facebook or whatever or somebody that we may bump into. Or the third response may be from some folks in this room. might be, like this young lady, it might be a very real experience, and you might say, well, I'm going to be their friend. I'm going to be their friend. I think this passage this morning is going to speak to equipping us. It's going to help us. Help equip us for this scenario. And again, we're going to use that same situation uh, as we go through this passage, sort of unpacking this passage. Uh, I want to go ahead and read our passage, and then we're going to unpack it in uh, pieces. Beginning in chapter 5, verse 7. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it's shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper. And arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. There's a lot going on in that passage, and we're not going to spend the morning and exhaust every single thing that comes out of that passage. I want us to sort of get the lay of the land in there, though. And I think a good guide for that passage would be to unpack the in imperatives, okay, or the commands that are in that passage. And there are four primary commands in that passage. So those are going to be our guide this morning. Uh, as we unpack it. And then hopefully we're going to kind of walk in those things, consider those things. But I want us to spend our most time, the most time that we have this morning, with the last imperative. Let me just kind of acquaint you with our context before we get into it. The word therefore points us backward. Okay, this passage begins with the word therefore. And just like Scott said a number of times, I think I've said it a number of times, it's a silly way to remember this. But anytime you see a therefore, you have to ask what it's there for. What's it doing? It's connecting us to the previous passage. If you were here last week, you know that last week's message was primarily about sexual immorality. Okay, so let's take a moment and just connect ourselves backwards to this sermon from last week. I'm not going to reiterate anything. I'm just going to sort of summarize what we defined last week as sexual immorality, as aberrant sexual conduct to include at the very least sex before marriage, both real and virtual are imagined. Also sex outside of marriage, both physical and virtual. And homosexuality. Those were part of our conversation last week, and we considered that those who practiced these things last week, they were called, in the passage we looked at last week, the sons of disobedience, and the sons of disobedience have no inheritance with the saints. That's what the therefore points back to. So in some way, we're sort of continuing on with this conversation 
about sexual immorality, but we're talking about, I think, in these passages today, what do we do with it? What do we do with a gay couple in the hallway between classes? Just give you a brief, big picture of how these things are going to unfold. There's four imperatives. I encourage you to do a little study this week to look ahead. I'm going to tell you what they are so you can just jot them down, maybe in a little outline, and you can flesh out the outline as we go. In verse 7, there's do not become. That's the first imperative of the passage. In verse 8, there's walk as children. The first is do not become in verse 7. In verse 8 is walk as children. In verse 11 is take no part. And also in verse 11 is expose them. Okay, so those are the four guides for us this morning. So if you want to, if you lose your place and you get distracted and you start thinking about lunch or you you remember back on a great breakfast or or whatever, um, you can kind of connect back. Okay, we're going to those four imperatives or those four commands. Do not become, walk as children, do not or take no part, and expose them. All right, let's climb into this and look at the first imperative in verses 7 through the first part of verse 8. Therefore, do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. The first imperative, remember, we're connecting to this scenario of the gay couple in the hallway. So we want to have a sense of how this passage can inform how we respond to the gay couple in the hallway. It says right here, do not become partners with them. The them in this passage is the sons of disobedience. That phrase that we looked at last week, it may not be a phrase that you kind of like the sound of because you may have friends or family that are part of this, maybe a, uh, that are involved in some sort of sexual immorality or sexual sin, and it might be sort of unsavory to you, for you to think about that term, sons of disobedience. It's coming right from the passage. It's not something that we've conjured. It's not something that we're saying in some ugly way. There's some other synonyms in the book of Ephesians for uh, sons of disobedience, children of wrath, is another. Gentiles is another. We use the term oftentimes the the word lost, referring to those who are the sons of disobedience, who are the children of wrath. Paul uses the the term outsiders. We don't use that term very often, but that's a, a word that Paul uses is the term outsiders. Unbelievers, that's a familiar word. Maybe one that can kind of make it more digestible for you, that, it, that will help you realize that it's everyone that's not in Christ and it's you apart from Christ are the sons and daughters of Adam. Okay, if the sons of disobedience just sounds like it's just kind of, uh, it sounds very critical. Let's go with the sons and daughters of Adam, which is you, by the way, apart from Christ. So we're talking about anyone who is not in Christ Do not become partners with them. And the reason here is because for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Darkness is your past tense experience, and now you are light in the Lord. There's another sort of a parallel passage in 2 Corinthians that I'll read, share with you briefly. I don't want to spend too much time unpacking each of these earlier uh, imperatives, but listen to this little parallel from 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked 
with unbelievers. I've used this passage a number of times in counseling a couple that may be dating where one is a Christian and the other is not. It's a great example of two oxen being yoked together where one's going one way and one's going another, and it's going to be torturous for both. That's what this phrase means. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? This first imperative is a very clear imperative um, to not be partners with the sons of disobedience. Maybe a good way to visualize this, if you want to kind of get a sense of what it means to be a partner with the sons of disobedience, is a, a nice visual, would be you don't want to be partners with someone who's on the Titanic. Okay, You don't want to be partners with someone who is on the Titanic because you know what's in store for those who aren't united to Christ by faith. You don't want to be partners with someone who is doomed. So this first imperative, it's very simple. It's do not become partners with the sons of disobedience. Casey, you can start to sort of build those points. Do not become partners with the sons of disobedience. Okay, the second imperative, verses 8 through 10. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light. And specifically focusing right here on this next phrase... Walk as children of light. There's the second imperative. For the fruit of light is found in all that's good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Okay, remember our scenario of the gay couple in the hallway between classes. The second imperative is you are light in the Lord. So walk as children of light. There it is. Walk as children of light. Light is a beautiful representation of life and salvation, really cover to cover in our Bibles. It's also a beautiful metaphor of the presence and the work of God. So God shows up, and a great example is let there be light. God shows up, and all of a sudden light happens because God speaks it into existence. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So we could almost use this synonymously with being or walking as children of God as we walk as children of light. Being his children means that we walk in life, means that we walk in salvation, means that we walk in the presence of God himself as we walk down the hallway passing the gay couple. Let's really add some meaning to this, some real life meaning. The scenario is a child of light is walking down a hallway with two people who have been fooled in their sin. Let's really connect this scenario. And then there's an implied how in the rest of this passage. That's the second imperative. Is walk as children of light. But then there's the implied how in the rest of the passage. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. The first how to walk as children of light is you walk bearing fruit. You walk with the mindset that you're actually going to do something. You're walking down the hallway with a gay couple in the hallway and you as a child of light actually have the concept and the thought, I'm supposed to be and do something. 
I'm supposed to actually bear something. I'm not supposed to just be something. It's almost as if Jesus should have had some parables talking about what it means to be fruitful or fruitless. Right? Anybody ever read the Gospels? They're all over the Gospels. It makes me think of the moment where Jesus went to reach for a fig on a fig tree that didn't have any figs. And you know what he did? He cursed it. Man, we are supposed to bear fruit. That's what it means to be a child of light. So as we pass the gay couple in the hallway, there should be the thought. I'm supposed to do something. I may not know just yet what I'm supposed to do. I may not know how I'm supposed to move just yet, but I am expected to bear fruit. And then the second point of walking as a, children, as a child of light is in the rest of that passage. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Walking as a child of light means that you're conscious of you want to bear fruit. And secondly, you're going to walk trying to please, figure out what pleases the Lord. So as you're passing the gay couple, as you walk down the hallway, you're not trying to discern what pleases you and your definition of what's right and wrong. You're actually trying to figure out, well, what's God's concept on this? What's God's view on this? What pleases him in this situation? And does a gay couple that's walking in sexual immorality please their creator? Not is it fashionable. Not is it um, all these actors say it's okay and even encouraged even. And that there's real freedom and happiness in it. It's God is the one that we need to discern his good pleasure on the matter. Man, not what pleases you or the masses. It's his view that should define your view. It was not, not an uncommon thing nearly every single day for me to ask my mom as I was growing up. Hey, mom, what does this mean? What does this mean? What does this mean? What, what she, we had an encyclopedia, encyclopedia set. Because there was no internet. We didn't even have a computer. <laughs> there's an encyclopedia set and there's a, a Webster's Dictionary. And I spent every day going to those things. Because my mom wouldn't tell me, even if she knew. A lot of time I think it was to hide that she didn't know. But she'd send me to the encyclopedia or to the Webster's. For us, there is no um, Webster's as the first sort. There's God as the first source. He's the source to interpret and define a scenario. As we see a gay couple in the hallway, how to interpret it and make sense of it, we have to figure out what God's view is. So walking as children of light means that we bear fruit in that situation, and it means that we figure out what pleases God, not what pleases the masses. Now let's pick up in verse 11 for our next two imperatives. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. The first or the third imperative, the first one from this passage is the third imperative of our morning is take no part in the works of darkness. Okay, so we see the gay couple in the hallway. We're not to be partners with them. Okay, we're to walk as a child of light. And third, we are to take no part in the works of darkness. Don't become partners with evildoers. We don't want to partner with somebody who's on the Titanic. This point is making, this is taking it beyond that to say, don't even take part in their works, thereby getting on the Titanic yourself. That's the charge here. It's real strong connection to last week, in some ways reiterating last week's point. Don't participate in these sins because it's not who you are. If you need a reason to not participate in these sins, 
That's a great one. It's not who you are. So participating and partnering with the sons of disobedience is not fitting. It's not fitting for who you are. Now, the fourth imperative of the morning comes from the second part there of verse 11. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. This word expose in the New Testament means to reveal hidden things. These are the different ways it's used in the New Testament. To reveal hidden things. To convict or convince. To reprove or correct. To punish or to discipline. Those are the various ways this word expose is used in our New Testament. It's often used in reference to admonishing Christians within the church. Okay, we have a term for that at Cross Point Fellowship, and if you've been around here long enough, you've likely heard this term, or if you stick around long enough, you'll likely hear this term. It's actually a term that we call church discipline. It's a very common term where we have a name for it, of a dealing with sin within the church, and specifically unrepentant sin, how we go about doing that. This word is often used... In reference to that. So is that what we're talking about here? Is that what we're being called to here? Exposing these, this darkness. Is that what we're talking about? Darkness in the church. Are we supposed to be doing that with one another? Let me answer that last question first. Yes, we are supposed to be doing that with one another. We are our brother's keeper. We do have a responsibility to come alongside one another when one of us has been fooled into sin and fooled into specifically unrepentant sin. Not like meddlers, not like fixing one another, but as people who really genuinely care about one another, that is part and parcel to life together in the church. And yes, we have a very high view of that, but I don't think that's what Paul is speaking of here. I think Paul is speaking of something very different, and I want to help make the case for that. First, we need to figure out who or what is the them or the imperative. Okay, look at the imperative again. Expose, instead, instead of participating in the works of darkness, instead expose them. Who or what is the them gives us a clue of where we're supposed to go with this. Is the them referring to the sons of disobedience or is the them referring to the works? Look at the passage again because this is major important. Look at what it says here. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Put your kind of visual around that as the works of darkness is the football. But instead expose them, the works of darkness. It doesn't say expose the sons of disobedience. It doesn't say expose the children of wrath. It doesn't say expose the Gentiles, expose the lost, expose the outsiders, or expose the sons and daughters of Adam. It says instead expose their dark works. Man, that's a big, big difference. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 is a great reference for you to maybe study this week, this coming week, maybe even study this afternoon. Paul is dealing with sin within the church, and he's speaking to how we deal with sin within the church. But at one point in this argument, he says, what have I to do with judging outsiders? God judges the outsider. Man, hear that, Christians. 
What have I to do with judging outsiders? God judges the outsider. So exposing them being people or exposing them being works are two majorly, massively different things. And we are called to expose dark works, not people. Now, let me sort of develop this a little bit further. I want you to see that we're not talking about people within the church. When Paul refers to dealing with sin in the church, he's not ambiguous. He's not unclear. He gives very specific instruction even as it shouldn't be done sloppily. Consider this passage, Titus chapter 3, verse 10. He says, as for a person who stirs up division, and he's talking about in church life, after warning him and then after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. He gives some very specific steps of a process. And also, he's speaking not in terms of works. He's speaking in terms of people. Listen to what he says. He talks people as for the person who stirs up division. After warning him once and warning him twice. There's a very specific aim here. He's talking process and he's talking people. In this case, though, he's referring to not people but works. He's talking about exposing darkness, it seems, in the sons of disobedience. It seems he's charging them even with exposing the dark works of the sons of disobedience. That's the fourth point that you can put up now. Have you gathered the first three to where you see these in order? Don't become partners with the sons of disobedience in the hallway, the gay couple in the hallway. Don't become partners with them. Secondly... Walk as children of light. Walk as children of God in that situation, in that hallway with the gay couple. Third, take no part in the works, the dark works of the gay couple in the hallway. And fourth, expose the dark works of the sons of disobedience. Man, it seems very clear from this passage. I. I hope you recognize I haven't done any gymnastics there. I'm just exposing the imperatives, the Greek imperatives that come from that passage. They're very clear. My fear is if we dismissed right now, we could say, okay, let's have take our supper and then send everybody home, is we send home a bunch of Barney Fifes. We send home a bunch of citizens on patrol to go expose that gay couple in the hallway. Man, I'm a, I got equipped by Pastor Ben on Sunday, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go home and I'm going to take care of these folks. I want to spend these next few minutes just talking about how we do this. Don't you, don't you think this matters? Do you think it matters? Do you want to walk in this imperative, but you want to do it in a way that is the way that would honor God? Let's do this in these next few minutes. Let's just consider how. Since we're talking about works, let me start there and not people. We can start by knowing we're not to parade about shouting unclean when we pass the gay couple in the hallway. Okay, that's not a fitting response. Unclean. I hope you know that. But let's just make sure we know that. We're not to parade about Shouting unclean. We're not to carry signs with hateful slogans at the funerals of dead soldiers. Calling people names. Man, do you watch the news? 
I'm ashamed of these people called Westboro Baptists that are calling themselves Christian and ashamed of how they're moving. That is not the way Christians are called to move. We are not to carry pickets with hateful slogans. We're not to join, too, the people that just withdraw. There was a community of people in their context that called the Essenes that just withdrew from the whole problem. Okay, our version might be Amish. You might hear in this sermon this morning, you're like, oh, man, maybe I'll just go join the Amish. And there will be a gay couple in a hallway. <laughs> They'll just be people with buckles on their hats and buckles on their shoes and wagons. And I guess they have buckles on their hats. I don't know. I, I might be thinking pilgrims. I don't want any gay people in my hallway. So can you give me a solution so maybe I can just withdraw and get away from all these problems and just by default just withdraw? Maybe I'll become a monk. That's what the monks did. I want to get away from all this uncleanness and all this dirtiness and all this sinfulness. And while I love some monk music, that's not the way to go about it either. Man, that's not the answer either. We shouldn't join a monastery. We shouldn't join the Amish. We shouldn't join the Essenes so we can keep our distance from such filthy creatures. It seems here we should distinguish between works and people. It seems here we should distinguish between dark works and human beings. Let's start right there, brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's start right there in the how. Let's consider that is it's possible that we could expose the bankruptcy of dark, evil works and yet show dignity to the human beings that are committing them. Man, let's just consider that notion. To show dignity and maybe even respect now think about how Jesus treated the sons of disobedience hopefully we could recognize he's a good guide for us I was thinking about Zacchaeus the story of Zacchaeus I would encourage you to read it this week it's in Luke chapter 19 he's a chief tax collector in Jericho okay tax collector is just another version of a guy in the hallway Man, they extorted money. They took people who didn't have money. They took more than they should. Jesus sees Zacchaeus climbed up in a tree because he's a little bitty dude. He says, hurry down. And he invites himself over for dinner. He invites himself over for dinner and he treated Zacchaeus like he was a human being. Like a friend even. I thought of the irony here that Jericho was taken by force by Joshua, and here it's taken by friendship by Jesus. Friendship. Zacchaeus, come on down. I'm going to have dinner at your place. Others were treating Zacchaeus like he was unclean, grumbling, complaining. They even said in this story, they said, He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Jesus said to this sinner... The Zacchaeus at the meal, he said, Zacchaeus, the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Zacchaeus, the son of man came to seek and save 
chief tax collectors. Zacchaeus, the son of man, came to seek and save the gay couple in the hallway. Let's just consider how Jesus handles the son's disobedience. I thought about the rich man in Mark chapter 10. Yet another story you could read this week. This guy comes to him and says, Jesus, I've done all these things. I've obeyed the law, you know. Jesus says, okay, well, you just, here's what's the last thing you need to do. You need to go sell all your stuff. Because he knew that the dark works for this guy was that he loved his stuff. Very common dark work, right? That's this version of the guy in the hallway. He loved all his stuff. He's just collecting stuff. And Jesus spoke to that particular problem. He didn't just affirm him and call that love. That's not a solution either. Oh, yeah, just press on there, rich guy. He called him to an abrupt departure from his dark works, which is what Jesus does, which is what we should do. But he did it with respect. And the passage even says that he loved him. He loved him. Can you start there and consider the gay couple in the hallway and say, man, God, search my heart. Do I even love them? Do I recognize we're talking about human beings? Do I even love a fellow human being? A Samaritan woman was another one that came to mind in John chapter 4. First of all, you shouldn't even be speaking to a woman because women were lower class in that context. Not only does he speak to a woman, he speaks to a Samaritan woman. You want to talk about unclean? Jesus, though, sits and talks with her and has a meaningful conversation. He deals with the truth of the matter. She's had five husbands, and she's living with a sixth guy that's not her husband. He deals with abrupt and altogether uh, clean departures with her old life, just like he did the rich guy. But, man, he does it in a way that treats her with respect. He's engaging. He's respectful. He spoke the truth in a way that the truth itself did the cutting rather than him being a jerk. He let the truth itself cut her. He didn't shout unclean. He didn't call her names. Instead, he guided her to himself. She asked about the Messiah. He said, the one that you're talking about, that's me. That's me. He treated her like a human being. The only times that I can really recall where Jesus was sharp and short with folks, and I want you, Christians at Crossmore Fellowship, I want you to hear this statement. The only time that I really have observed where it seems Jesus was sharp and short with folks was when he was engaging those who thought they were too clean to be around any sinners. Man, he engaged people like they were people with respect. The centurion, the woman caught in adultery, a blind man, a bleeding woman, lepers, Crazy people even, all treated with respect, treating them with dignity, yet remaining true and bright and unstained. How would Jesus talk to you? 
given what I just said a minute ago, the only time where he's really sharp and short with folks is when he's engaging those who thought they were too clean to be around any sinners. How would he speak with you? Scott Sutton and I were talking about this earlier this week. He said that the surveys, he sent out surveys to our church family to have y'all answer all manner of questions. And one of the questions was, um, what's keeping you from inviting folks on Sunday? He said nine out of ten people responded with this statement. I don't know any lost people. Is that because we think they're dirty and unclean? Or is that because we're not making an effort? I loved what Scott said next. He needs, we need to stop not knowing lost people. (laughs) We need to stop not knowing lost people. Let's start right there. Do you have any gay couples in your hallway? Do you have any that you're not mindful of, that you're not recognizing, that you're supposed to bear fruit with, that you're supposed to walk with as a child of light? that though you're not supposed to take part in their sins and not partner with, that you're supposed to expose the darkness of their works. Do you have any gay couples in your hallway? And if you do, can you walk in these four imperatives? Do not become partners with them. Take no part in their sins, the sins of the sons of disobedience. Walk as children of light and expose their dark works. Man, I think we've got to do all of the above and we've got to do the last part in a way that treats him like Jesus would treat him. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 5 has a nice guide. It's one that I refer to often, one that I think about often. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that's in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. With gentleness and respect. Reveal the dark works of the sons of disobedience as bankrupt when given the opportunity in the soil of relationship and friendship like you actually care about them. Reveal their vessel as the Titanic like a friend who actually cares about them as human beings. Recognize the value of the person who's not a sin themselves but is a human being created in the image of God. That's participating in dark, bankrupt works because they don't know our God who is light. That meme brought severe conviction on me and changed my life. Said no one ever. Okay? When she blocked me on Facebook, I was under such conviction because I wanted to be such a great friend with her. So I repented of my sins and I followed Christ. Said no one ever. 
man, Christians at Crosspoint Fellowship, let's start right there. Let's start at this public, public square that's right in front of us, like Facebook. Let's start in our workplace and think about how we can treat people and how we can treat them and with, with respect that Jesus would treat them. And be prepared in the soil of friendship and relationship to give an account for the hope within with gentleness and respect. Let's pray. God, I pray that those that don't know you, the sons of disobedience, the children of wrath, um, the Gentiles, the outsiders, the lost, um, the gay couple in the hallway, um, a chief tax collector who's short and in the top of a tree. A Samaritan woman who's just going off to get water for her sixth man. A woman who's caught in adultery. Whatever the scenario might be, Lord, I pray that you would give us some insight into how we can, without participating in their sins, without being partners in their um, position on the Titanic, Lord, that we can gently, lovingly, truthfully expose the bankruptcy of their dark works. Lord, I pray that you would give us an insight into our own hearts. Are there ways in our own hearts where we we may harbor these thoughts that we're better than some people? Lord, I pray that what will fuel every single person in the room is the realization that but for Christ, we are all the sons and daughters of Adam. That is our only redeeming reality, is our union with Christ by faith. And that's what you did. We didn't even do that. God, I pray that if we have these feelings that are keeping us from befriending people and then sharing Christ with them, Lord, that you would change our hearts, that we would learn to love those who don't know you. That we would learn to love those who are involved in the most despicable of sins. God, change our hearts. Use us to be salty, bright, and aromatic wherever our context. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I, I don't know if you appreciate the passion is, that I share this is, is not because I've figured this out. Because I've done all of the above, the blocking, the rebuking, the separating or somehow grouping the person in with their sin and treating them like less than human being. I've done all of the above. Chief of sinners. But I'm convicted in this passage. I'm convicted in the spirit of this movement. I think about the Ephesian church and later on they get a report card in the book of Revelation for how they were doing. And you know what? The Ephesian church was great at, at guarding the truth. If you read the letter in the book of Revelation, they're great at guarding the truth. But Jesus says to the messenger of the church in Ephesus, he says, you left the love that you had at first. Apparently, they weren't very good at love. They're good at guarding the truth, but they weren't good at love. Man, I pray that we as a people will be great at both. Both. 
I started the morning with this passage in Isaiah, and it's where we're going to end our morning. It's where we're going to have our supper. I'll share it again. Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. He's speaking to the nation of Israel. And nations shall come to your light, the kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around, and see they all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. What I want you to see and appreciate right here in this passage is that we are the sons and daughters that are carried from afar. There ought to be serious humility in the church. A sense of marvel, a sense of wonder, a sense of humility that makes us run to the gay couple in the hallway. Realizing that as Gentiles, we were the gay couple in the hallway. (laughs) Do you get that? Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult because the abundance of the sea shall be returned to you. And look what he says next. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. We are the wealth of the nations. The gay couple in the hallway is the wealth of the nations. Zacchaeus, the wealth of the nations. A woman caught in adultery, wealth of the nations. Centurion, wealth of the nations. The bleeding woman, Wealth of the nations, lepers, crazy people, all of them, the wealth of the nations. A rich man didn't turn to Christ. At least we don't know that he did in Mark 10. Had he, he would have proven to be the wealth of the nations, gathered up on the hips and at the hands, led to the light of the world. Let's enjoy this together. This was likely, this passage here that, uh, in Ephesians chapter 4 is likely pointing back to that Isaiah passage, but it was also likely a baptismal hymn. In some ways, as Paul's finishing this little passage that he's been teaching and writing on here in Ephesians chapter 5, he ends it with essentially saying, remember who you are by remembering your baptism. Remember how you were baptized into the people of God from death to life. Remember, Lazarus, how you hunkered down in that dark cave, dead, if you can even remember it. And remember hearing the words, Lazarus, come forth. Remember wincing as you stepped out into the brightness of the sun, hearing the great living words of a living God, calling you from death to life. Let's take all these images and all these thoughts into our supper, and let's enjoy him in humility together. Let's distribute the elements.